the ideal state is in the evening at the end of the day. I drink either a cold draft beer outside or an expensive single malt scotch. So I do the evening when I'm at home. Uh, single malt scotch, not expensive, which is a single malt scotch, with a uh, lint chocolate, milk chocolate, extra creamy. Goes very well with scotch. Okay, so, you know, and I read. Welcome. I'm your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. The voice you just heard belongs to Rishat Tobakowala, one of the first guests, all the way back to episode three. He was answering the question that closes every episode of the podcast, the one I call food for the body or food for the soul. That's when I give my guests the option to share with us either a recipe or a drink they love if they choose the food for the body option, or if they choose the food for the soul option, they share with us something artistic like music, books, a movie, or a painting. Since this episode is coming out on Labor Day, which in the US is the official end of the big summer barbecue season, I thought it would be fun to feature some of my favorite food answers selected from our first 102 episodes. I will also add a little bonus and share some of my favorite food for the body at the end. What I love across all these answers is the meaning attached to food. And in a couple of cases, there is a direct link to leadership. For the first election, I actually cheated a little bit because in episode 79, Jim Bettany talked about food when answering the hobby question. But once you hear her answer and how it connects to leadership, I am sure you will agree that it is a perfect place to start from. So grab your favorite snack or drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. I love to cook. And I believe that food is love. And I was not always a good cook. And I met my ex-husband studying in Milan. And he came back to the States, to New York eventually with me and was shocked at some of the things that I was actually cooking. And he called his mom back in Milan and said, Pia, you have to send me a cookbook because I'm dying over here. And so he he was very intuitive and self-taught. And she was an incredible Italian mother-in-law, mama, grandma. And she taught me some like incredible basics, like the, her, her ragu, you know, her bolognese is amazing, her meatballs, the lasagna with the bechamel. And so I find that cooking is meditative for me, a busy work day and, and all of it. And then I get in the kitchen and it's like looking at the ingredients, smelling the ingredients. I'm very present. I'm very mindful in that space. And I find joy in it. And then Again, like stuffing my daughters with food that they love makes me happy. And my home has always been, let's get from the time I lived in Brooklyn and we had a, you know, always had very, a lot of friends of diverse cultures and languages and food and around our table and to, to here in, in LA, I find a lot of joy in hosting and gathering people around the table and conversation and breaking bread. And I think there's always been a fluidity between friends and work. I have become very good friends with most of the people that I've worked with. And so it's 
no longer, I used to say family, my work family. And I think when you go through many layoffs and you go through having to let go of people that you care about or things that that it becomes, you don't do that to family. Right. But, um, so, and then we talked about tribe, but it's a team. And, and, but I do think like loving what I work and I put my, I bring my heart and soul to the office and then I bring my people back home. So there's a fluidity of like my friends and family and work, my work people. And recently, I was last year, I was growing the, the Walmart creative leadership team and we're growing and expanding on capabilities. We're meeting together and doing some work and we decided to do a cooking class for the leadership team as opposed to just go and have a dinner because we were all working remotely when we're getting together. And it was really a great exercise of, okay, you guys are going to do the appetizers. You guys are going to make the pasta. You're going to make the main course. Who's going to make the dessert? We're going to feed each other as we go along. We're going to talk about it. And then we're going to sit at a table together. So very much this cacophony of cooking and talking and co-creating and someone's going to be good at something and bring it to the table and then let's enjoy the fruit of our labor. I think it's very connected. Okay, spoiler alert, there'll be a lot of talk about Italian food in this episode. It may be because Italian food is the best of the world and not that I am biased as an Italian. It may be because some of my guests were Italian or connected to Italians, as in the case of Jean. Or it may be because some of my guests are very highly sophisticated connoisseurs of food, like Ren Fishkin, who in episode eight shared a recipe for one of my favorite Italian dishes and one of the most controversial, pasta alla carbonara. I'm a huge fan of pasta, so I, I cook a lot of pasta and um, am very particular about it. I think I'm, I'm almost as picky as an Italian, not quite. But um, I do I do have a favorite carbonara recipe. It doesn't rank in Google. Yeah. It's too good to rank in Google, apparently. I don't know. They only want to give you the crappy ones. Uh, but if you go to Serious Eats or if you search for carbonara Serious Eats, their recipe is the best one. You got to use a double boiler yeah. to uh, whisk the eggs, uh, the eggs and cheese together mm-hmm. in order to get the, the perfect sauce consistency. And then make sure that the uh, the pasta itself that, that you've dumped in the pancetta or your guanciale, whatever you're using, uh, you want that to be cooled down before you add the eggs because you cannot let them scramble. That ruins that ruins the dish. So that check out the Serious Eats version. That's the best one. That's food. I mean, I feel like that's soul food. Yes. And speaking of soul food, obviously a really important part of food is its connection to our sense of belonging. A lot of our guests travel globally for work and the next two talk about the role that food has into their connection with their home country, who happens to be Italy. So here is Gabriella Arcadu from episode 13. Pasta with tomato sauce. That's my comfort food. That's the first things I eat when I arrive back after I've been abroad for uh, several weeks or maybe a month or so. And that's what represents home for me. It it centers me. It's food for the body and the soul. That tastes very simple and possibly if the season is right with fresh tomato and basil. Otherwise, even canned tomato is okay if it's well cooked. But that's what uh, for me. To the point that sometimes when I stay away abroad and I know I'm not in a place where I can find the basic ingredients, like uh, some basically the ingredients come in my luggage with me together with a coffee machine and some good coffee. 
and they bring. It's all part of uh, stress management, I would say. It's a basic advice of stress management. But definitely pasta and uh, tomato. So it's simple and it's, uh, it has all the flavor that uh, Italy cuisine can offer, I think. And here, talking about some similar themes, is Francesca Gargaglia from episode 65. I really love the food for the soul part but being italian and being a foodie i will go with food for the body i mean i love eating honestly so there are so many dishes that i cook regularly and almost all of them you know it's italian cuisine but if i can pick one thing it's for sure mozzarella everybody makes fun of me because i have a real (laughs) obsession for mozzarella And eating a mozzarella is literally the first thing I do every time that I land back in Italy after spending a few months abroad. So that's probably my guilty pleasure together with wine. The other way in which food connects us to our roots is how it connects to our family. And this is going to be the theme for the next few guests. We start in episode 60, Laura Cesaro who talks about not only how food connects to her family, but also how food was actually a component of leadership for her dad. I would like to share something that is very dear to me and some very, I would say, also private. And it, this is a dish called the pera. And I'm sure that you're Italian and I'm not even sure you know what it is. Do you know what pera is? Pera? No. Like the, just the fruit? Just the fruit? or See. <laughs> No, 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 not pera, but pera. So, and for the audience, I come from Verona, which is like an hour and a half drive from Milan, where you're from. And and still, you know, people don't know it outside of my city. So this is a very typical traditional uh, dish from my city. The area where I come from used to be very poor. So the traditional foods are quite sad. And <laughs> this is a sauce that would be on the side of the boiled meat. And it's made of bread and pepper. And... As the very traditional dish is in a country, in, a, in each country, all of us from Verona, we only eat the one made by our in our family. So I would never like go into another family and eat that because the rest we wouldn't be right. I would never order it at the restaurant. So I only make the one that my father makes, and my father makes it. He likes to make it for all of his friends, especially um, at Christmas. He will have 40, 50 people over, and I think that's his that defines his way of leadership of having everybody around him in the kitchen and cooking and providing for everyone but using his own recipe and his own little secrets and inspire everybody because i can assure you people eat that thing and they come out inspired and they just dream and so for me that's food for the body and for the soul and that's just um it's full of authenticity and identity and leadership in in my family, for sure. The most recent moment featured is uh, from only a couple of episodes ago, in episode 101, Guy van der Resch shared a beautiful memory about a recipe from her grandmother. I have a very sweet tooth, so I was going to pick one of the many delicious sweets we have in Italy. But now that you're asking the question, I'll actually pick the recipe that I have to say to my Italian grandmother, which is no longer with us. I mean, she would have been 102, but she died a few years ago. She made it to 99. And she would always cook for us uh, pasta ragù, which is, yeah, bolognese pasta, spaghetti bolognese, I think. That's how we usually call them abroad. 
and she would cook the ragu as we do in Italy for days in a row, at least a day, otherwise it's not good enough. So it was like a whole process with the whole house just smelling for days in a row of the preparation of ragu, of the different meats she would put in, of the lorry leaves she would go and pick up in the garden, of the tomato sauce that she would make from scratch. And and it was like this all immersion and for, for hours and hours in a row, seeing this ragu slowly cooking and getting ready to, to you know, taste. It was the best ragu I've always I've ever had. I don't have the recipe. Unfortunately, we, we are not great sometimes, right, at writing down things that would actually keep memory alive. Um, so I don't have the recipe that my grandma used. But whenever I eat pasta ragu, I think of her. She was an amazing woman. She was she came from a very poor family. She didn't even go to Scuola Media, to middle school, uh, let alone high school or anything else. And for me, she was really the proof that that it's not necessarily education that, I don't know, makes you get somewhere, be somehow a certain type of person. She had, she was the most kind and principled and generous person. Also, she didn't have much. Uh, she was a hairdresser. She loved her job and she was super generous and super kind. And she was really a reference point for anyone in the family. She was always welcoming. And I think she taught me a lot on, on how to be grounded. Uh, and each time I eat pasta ragu, I'm reminded of her and a bit of her values, her way of life and her way of really taking your time to cook, to prepare things and then sharing them with everyone around the table. Italian grandmothers, of course, are not the only ones who pass culture, love and tradition on to their granddaughters through their food. Here from episode 74 is Daniela Rabani, who shares a beautiful memory of a recipe from her grandmother from Iran. My grandmother on my father's side was from Iran, and she would stand at the stove and make these incredible stews and white rice with a crispy bottom. Oh, my God. Have you ever tried it? It's called Tadig. This is crazy. Two episodes ago, one of my guests said he loves cooking and he just learned how to make Tadig. <laughs> It's so good, guys. It is so good. And, you know, I, I just I love it. And I also love it in, in the context of this conversation because she endowed every single morsel of her food with artistry, with love, with nourishment. I mean, it's been, I don't know, 20 years maybe since she passed and I can taste it. And my mother now cooks it. You know, her parents are from Eastern Europe. It's not really like a family food for her. But it was so chock full of culture, of pride, of, I don't know, Persian-ness. And if, it's funny, you know, my, my grandparents left Iran in the 30s. 1930s. And then they were these like sexy, fun, my vivacious women. And I just have a lot of uh, love and hope that that culture is revived and celebrated all over again. So you heard me mention in that exchange that uh, Tadik had been mentioned by somebody a couple of episodes before my conversation with Daniela. And so we go to episode 72, which is one of my favorite episodes. I had Ronnie Salem and Gil Blender, CEO and chief scientific officer and founder of Inside Tracker, who talked about the relationship as a founder and then a CEO that came on board and also shared some advice and a little fun banter around food. 
I recently learned to make tadig, which is, you know, the Persian burned rice. I've always loved it. And I finally learned how to do it. And so I'm going to pick that one. And we're a nutrition company. So, of course, food should be part of the uh, answer. Yeah, so for me, it's also food and it might contaminate my uh, brand, but I really like chocolate. So I'm uh, addicted to chocolate. And so I'm trying at least to eat a high percentage of uh, chocolate. So that's my uh, favorite. And actually, it's uh, helped me a lot when I I have an important meeting or I need to dive into something. I'm taking a a small piece of chocolate and then my brain uh, is active and doing uh, good stuff. That's for me. I tried the the Trader Joe's ninety two or ninety four percent. Oh, it's chocolate. too much. Uh, it's too much. Last night I tried it. Last night I bit into it and I had to throw it away. I was like, oh, there's no yeah. way I can eat this. It's yeah, really yeah, I'm I'm, I'm around the seventy two percent. The seventy two percent is uh, higher enough percent, but still uh, have the texture and the uh, and the taste. Yeah. Ronnie and Gil run Inside Tracker, which is a nutrition company. In episode 84, we had Rishi Bhatia, who is CEO of Purple Care, which is a vegetarian food company. So here is his food for the body, which, as you will hear, also happens to be food for the soul. Given that I'm leading Purple Carrot, so it has to be a food answer first, right? So I think at Purple Carrot, you'll find like unique recipes. And sometimes, you know, the combination of like ingredients is so unique. You know, one example is, you know, my favorite is like potato malai kofta with the spinach and uh, tomato chutney. And that comes as a meal kit. So I'd never tried that before that you can do something with um, malai kofta and combine that with the uh, spinach and uh, tomato chutney. It's really thanks, thanks to the great culinary team that we have. And I think on the, so that's really for, on the food angle, I can have like hundreds of recipes and, you know, you can come to my house and we can cook <laughs> together. So I think that could be its own podcast and maybe I can have the head of culinary join us, you know, or someone from the culinary team. I, and I, I feel that, you know, food is like from different angles. There's the the food that we eat, but it's also the emotions and the thoughts. And I think for that angle, for me, it's really meditation. Talking about food as meditation speaks to the spiritual aspect that food can have in self-care. But let's face it, there's also a really fun aspect to food. And so it was really excited when in episode 10, Casey Jones talked about the joy of treating yourself to a luscious, delicious, decadent meal every once in a while. I'm a foodie. So any meal that is like decadent and good, you'll also know though that I eat an incredibly healthy diet. So um, I actually had to do a little bit of traveling for work and weirdly spent um, one night in Vegas by myself this weekend. So what did I do? I ate just like ridiculously good food all weekend. So we're talking like, you know, $120 steak just for myself. (laughs) A um, couple $30 glasses of champagne. Um, I am a big believer in um, treating yourself to a decadent meal and savoring every single bit of it. So I did not have my phone out. I just savored every single bite and I actually, I stuffed myself silly. Early in the episode, we heard about the power of having food and recipes being passed on to us from previous generations. But what about the joy of passing food traditions onto the next generations? Here is Armin Mulavi from episode 11. So this is going to sound like a cheat, but it's food for the soul. But the food for the soul is teaching my kids to cook. You know, and the fun part of, so I have six-year-old twins, as you know, yeah. and they have their own kids' knives and all sorts of things. And it's been fun, you know, like it's, it's fun to teach them how water boils. 
right? It's ton fun to teach them that, you know, two halves make a whole with measuring cups and measuring spoons. So there's all these like fun STEM kind of, you know, teachable moments with them. But on the flip side, there's also this really interesting creative piece. We make pasticheci with the girls every so often. And there was one time I was making pasticheci with them and I was making them try all the ingredients. And a really great pasticheci, in my opinion, includes anchovy, which as we all know, is very divisive. And the girls saw this anchovy and they were like, what on earth, daddy? We're not putting that. There's no way. We're not eating that. We're not putting that in the pot. I made them taste it. They both thought it tasted horrible. Um, we still chopped it up. We still put it into the pot. And when dinner was over, you know, when we were eating dinner, you know, we were talking about the flavors and I taught them about umami. But what was really interesting and their takeaway from it was really about like, oh, like it's really about the sum of the parts, right? Like it's, you know, there's lots of things that can be perceived as not good. And so it's really, what teaching them to cook has been amazing. It's so fun. It's getting to the point now where I just like sit in the kitchen and I read out the instructions. You know, they're still learning to read, so we're not there just yet. But, you know, watching them chop things and make pasta chechi for Nana when they came over was it's a pretty rewarding, amazing experience. So, and then I get to eat. So it's food for the soul, but there's also food to eat. Okay, we've come to our last guest. So only one more person before you hear what is my food for the body, or at least one of my favorite food for the bodies. Now, I'm cheating again because what you're about to hear is coming not from an answer to the question, but from a piece of a conversation that I had with Mia Byrne. She was in episode 91, and Mia is a queer trans musician who is a fabulous artist, but even most importantly, she's a great leader um, in the Americana music scene. And the reason why I'm sharing this piece is there's a point when she says, leadership is giving somebody a bowl of soup. And as you will hear from her whole piece, um, her statements are full with generosity, paying it forward, and really caring for other people. And so... I like to have the less voice in this episode be her voice because I'm hoping that you will take some of that generosity and love that she clearly has for other people with you. We all have the ability to be leaders. And I'll go to the Grateful Dead. Those of you who lead must follow because ultimately leadership is not standing in the front of a line and just being like bark, 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 bark. Leadership is making a bowl of soup for somebody who's hungry. I invite people to my house every week and I feed them for our songwriters meeting. And so for some of these people, they haven't had a meal that day or they've forgotten to feed themselves. And nourishment is such a huge part of leadership and meeting people where they are is such a huge part of leadership. And I've always been a nurturing person who's done that, but being able to bring in people who are like me or seeing younger folks, especially there's so many people who've just gotten out of college that I know, like I'm 45 years old and I see like this, you know, all of these people who are in their twenties who are struggling the same way I was. And I want them to have a better world. When we went in to make my recent album, Rhinestone Tomboy, and the last day of tracking and overdubs, we just finished up and my producer drove me home 
And right as we got to the last stoplight, he just broke down in tears. I'm like, what's going on, man? And he's like, what we're doing is so cool. But like more than anything, it's like, I don't want anyone to have to go through what you went through. And oftentimes in talking about trans lives, people don't talk about our joy. Like I have so much joy in my life right now. And of course I struggle. It's, you know, I'm up against every day. I plug into Twitter and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> another law, another person struggling or another friend who's suffering or another person who's missing or stuff like that. But ultimately, you know, it's like, you know, the fact that my partner and I can sit on a couch and like eat Indian food and watch the Simpsons and kiss each other and, and know that we can like walk down the street to the bodega and like buy a bar of chocolate. That's revolutionary. Okay, here we are. So finally, I'm going to share with you a food that I love. So here is Dino at the end of this episode sharing a food for the body for him. And you may think that I'm going to go Italian, but I'm going to actually going to go in a different direction. I moved to the U.S. about 30 years ago, actually 33 years ago to be exact. And every time I would go back to Italy, all my friends would ask me, how do you live without Italian food? How do you live without real Italian food? Because, you know, even though Italian food right now, it's pretty good at the time, it was not. And then it struck me, one of the things that drove me to the U.S. when I made from Europe is this. In Europe, we have 2,000 years of history, and we spend a lot of time thinking about that history and how to preserve it. But what I felt when I moved here is that so much of our energy as Italians, French, German, British was on preserving our great heritage that we were not working on what was going to be remembered many centuries after. And I felt that the U.S., which at the time certainly had less history, where everything was new, was the place where new history is going to be forged. And so it struck me as I thought about all the cuisines that are here that when you come to the U.S. and you're expecting to hear eat exactly the food from your country, you're making a mistake. But there's a great culinary tradition that, that especially I've seen grow in the past 30 years from chefs that are my age or my generation, which is the taking of all these different traditions and blending them together. And so I love fusion cuisine. Specifically, I love Asian fusion cuisine and I love the fusion of Asian cuisine and Mediterranean cuisine. There was a great restaurant in Boston that was called the Elephant Walk, which was a blend of Cambodian and French cuisine, which unfortunately is no longer here. But the one dish, the one thing that is very special that I always love, in 2003, 2004, I spent a lot of time because I was working on a client in Seattle and I would spend three or four days a week in Seattle. And there was a restaurant, which I think is still there, called Wild Ginger, which was a Pan-Asian fusion with some... Um, influence of uh, Mediterranean. And it was specifically one dish, which was the tuna bruschetta, which was cold tuna prepared, you know, in the style of raw Asian tuna with a little bit of bread and bruschetta. And I would go by myself at the end of every workday because I was staying in Seattle and would spend all my day at a client and then go back to my hotel. And I would have that. And that was a little bit of a combination of my home, which was Boston, where my family was, and Italy, where my family that I grew up is, and then this new place, which is the United States, and all the wonderful things and cuisines that are coming here. So 
I would encourage you tonight, if you're going out for dinner, go and find a restaurant that's not trying to replicate an exact ethnic cuisine, but find one that is making something new, blending all the wonderful ingredients that we have in this great melting pot that are the U.S. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that you should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Also, make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Apple Podcasts, Audible, Good Pods, please leave us a stellar rating and a review. Stick around because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Cattaneo, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. For more information and all the links, go to the website al4ep.com, spelled with the number 4. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. Please follow the podcast on all your social networks, on Instagram and Twitter. Yes, I'm refusing to call it X. The handle is at al4edp with the letter D. And on Facebook, look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits from Pro Podcast Solutions and Fullcast. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast FM. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicholas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Sovereign on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now, the final cheat of the episode. I'm actually going to share with you something that is truly food for the soul for me. It's the music of Susan Cattaneo, who, as you can guess by last name, is my wife. I'm going to play you a song that she wrote about the process of getting all together and in love with somebody. She wrote it with a great Bill Kirchhen, and the song is called When Love Goes Right. Fireflies are sparkling in the August heat That's the main attraction out here in the yard On the very last of our lawn chair days We're leaning back to take in all the stars Heaven's coming down to this Just lovers in the night Nothing more and nothing less That's what's left when love goes right All the love that's come to stay in this old house You see it hanging In the pictures In the hall We've made it through The hard times And a thousand tears Cause the thousand kisses Made it worth it all Feels like heaven's Coming down to this Just lovers in the night Nothing more And nothing
What's left when love goes right? 